you can get a 15-year mortgage and pay it down as aggressively as possible and you will have a house outright. But if you're 27 and you're buying your first house, you will be wealthier if you take a 30-year mortgage at this incredibly low interest rate to invest in employer's 401k plan where it can grow tax-free and you will be wealthier 30 years from now. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Mark. How's your health? Uh, I think it's okay. We're, we're at maximum cold around this house. I can tell. I have a cold. Everyone else has a cold. We, we played babysitter to a client's baby over the weekend. That's how involved we are. But, yeah, anyways, this baby gave us all colds. Uh, a client slash disciple slash best friend. <laughs> yes, something like that. Got it. Um, yeah, things are pretty good here health-wise. I've got, I'm, I'm dealing with only the lingering effects of COVID, but that's about it. So nothing, Great. nothing serious. Great. Well, the chances of you recovering are really, 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 really excellent. Yeah. Um, we don't do this often in the morning, so... I figured we would banter for an extra 15 to 20 seconds today before we just dove right into mortgage. Wow, fund. that's crazy. Uh, I'm having my decaf coffee, so I should be good to go real soon okay. here. But what... Uh... You know, here's banter for you. I, I, I'm I, going to... You're mentioning your coffee. I'm going to go out of my way to go to the evil empire of Starbucks this morning because this is one of their little... Sp- special giveaway weeks you know go get a go get a drink you get to play a game on our little app we'll give you double or triple points for buying whatever you buy and guess what i did mark i'm i'm hearkening back to our credit card conversation did you sign up again i went back in i went uh-huh. back into to starbucks and there and i think the first time that i signed up i think they gave me 2500 points this time 4,500 points for signing up. Yeah, and they're going to give you another 2,000 once you've spent the money that you're supposed to spend or something. It's, it's crazy. So it's so exciting. Um, well, welcome back. The people at my local Starbucks continually give us dirty looks like, we know you're cheating somehow. We just don't know how because you've never <laughs> once paid here. <laughs> so. But they so can't, the, we can't have a Starbucks credit card. What? You did the Starbucks credit card? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. I did it back in February and I was thinking that would be my, my go-to when I needed a coffee shop for a client meeting and I feel gypped because they've shut them all down, obviously. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, they're the worst. Yep. Um, well, we talked last week about buying houses and I hope that we provided some good overview for the beginners or for the experienced on the the steps of buying a house. But we intentionally skipped over what might be the thing on most people's mind right now, which is 
how do I finance a house? And maybe you already yeah. even own a house and you've heard of refinancing a house. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, just for some context, um, I don't know, maybe maybe somebody's listening and they don't even know what things are like um, unless people haven't reported it to them. So I'm going to report to you that interest rates are historically low right now. And if they get lower, there might be cause for concern, I, I guess. Um, I'm already concerned at how low they are, but um, they're so darn low that... Uh, I had what I assumed would be the lowest interest rate imaginable ever on a home. I had three and a half percent mortgage on my house and thought I'll ne I'll never get out of that deal. Well, guess what? I just refinanced for two and a half percent on my mortgage and lowered my years. And just doing that, just doing that one little move saved us $40,000 over the over the life of our loan so <clears throat> it's crazy what's what's going on so well, I, I think one of our recommendations will be coming out of this that you go find your mortgage if you haven't looked at it in a while find out what your interest rate is and do some simple math and go maybe it's time for me to refinance but if you're in the home buying market which is really what we're what we started talking about um, let's talk about some smart moves for financing that sucker. All right, Mark? Yeah. So there's a few ingredients that go into getting a mortgage and things you'll need. Um, when you want to get a mortgage or if you want to refinance a mortgage, you're going to need income. So some source of, of income, you're going to need credit. So you'll be able to prove that you're a good bet for a lender. Uh, we talked about that in credit cards week, but if you have never borrowed money at all and paid it back, you will not be able to get a mortgage by yourself. They don't trust you. There are ways around that. You could get a co-signer or you could, well, I think that's the way I know about to get around it. Yeah. But you will also need a budget because you're going to need to come up with not only the monthly payment on whatever loan you secure. Let me, let me just interject. Uh, yes, the budget. Just the, um, the thing about establishing credit. I mean, the tip is that when you're a college student, you open up a credit card and you, you put gas and bubble gum on it and you pay it off. And so you will be establishing over the years that you have good credit. So that's the tip. Don't make the first foray into credit trying to buy a house. That that doesn't work. So that's go right, ahead. Right. Budget. You'll need a budget. And you'll probably need a budget if this is your first home purchase that goes, that plans ahead. Because most of the time, mortgages are not free. Uh, you have to pay closing costs and like we talked about last week, there's several one-time items you will need to pay for when you go to buy a home. But even if you're just refinancing, you still will need to pay closing costs usually. Um, so that can be anywhere from zero to thousands and thousands of dollars, depending on the loan you want. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. And lastly, you are going to want to get multiple bids when you go to get a mortgage. Um, and we're going to talk about that. Maybe I'll just tell you now. 
I mentioned last week that that a lot of people, when they go to get a mortgage, they just get a name from their real estate agent, or if they're refinancing, they click on an ad or however they find a person and they say, what can I get? That person might be very helpful, but they're going to put you through their system and come up with, here's the interest rate and all the costs associated with the mortgage that I can provide you. And a lot of people just assume that is what they can get. Um, but there is generally a lot of difference between mortgage A and mortgage B in terms of costs. And the best way that I have found to compare these is A, get different types of bids. So there's guys and, and women who are mortgage brokers and their job is to sell mortgages and they can sell mortgages from a variety of, of lenders. They're brokers. There's banks like Wells Fargo and they can lend to you right out of their, their coffers and you will have a loan with Wells Fargo. So that's different. They're not going to sell you a Chase loan from Wells Fargo. They're just selling from that bank. And then there's credit unions, which are very similar to banks, but they're nonprofits and you have to be a member uh, and you can become a member of a credit union for all different reasons. Maybe you live in a certain neighborhood or you or one of your parents or grandparents was in the military or there's all sorts of credit unions. Uh, but they have a whole different set of underwriting principles. So all three of these entities, brokers, banks, and credit unions are going to have slightly different standards. And so one of them might offer you a better deal than another. Um, Steven, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about how fees get hidden into these things because most people also think the mortgage interest rate is the determinant of whether or not right. you got a good deal, but that's, it's actually not true. And so my tip when you're going to these different types of lenders is to ask for a no cost mortgage quote. And that doesn't mean you have to be very specific. It doesn't mean you're not asking me to come up with any money up front because they can hide fees in other places. It means I want to know what's the interest rate you would give me for a loan that has zero closing costs. And then you will be able to compare A, B, and C. And we'll talk about in a minute why really your interest rate is whatever you want it to be. There, you can you can go get a one and a half percent interest rate today. It's just going to be a bad deal for you. But how do, how do people hide fees into mortgages, Stephen? Okay, so when you get a mortgage, and if you're ever looking at a mortgage or even considering mortgages, you, you want something that's called a HUD-1. The HUD-1 is part of a, a, a mortgage uh, disclosement. You gotta, you gotta sign more documents than you ever imagine when you close a, um, a mortgage. But there are either fee sheets or or um, a good faith estimate that will show you some of these documents. So you're asking about um, a, a, a what's a no cost um, mortgage. So there are all kinds of, as you already said, there's all kinds of fees that go into a mortgage. Um, just just like somebody's got to file your your new title. Um, somebody's got to record your deed, all this stuff, you know, there's just fees that go along with it. Um, to give you, um, to give you, a, an example, along with all my prepaids and escrow junk for this, uh, refi that we just did, 
I think altogether it was like $7,500. Um, but like I, but like I said, uh, well, it's going to save us $40,000. Um, some of those prepaids are things that you're going to pay anyways. You're going to pay them out of your old mortgage if you keep going. It's just things that get forwarded onto your new payment. It's it's all you know. It's all technical stuff, and you just got to pay it. It's just part of the process. But you want to look at at um, either a fee worksheet or a good faith estimate to show you here's what's actually going on. And I can tell you, as a former mortgage broker, that there's several places where mortgage brokers can sque squeeze their fees in, and they can make up terms you've never heard of and just stick them in there. And you are well within your rights to ask any mortgage broker, what is this fee? What is this thing? The ICA computation fee. What, what does that mean? Who, who's, who gets paid the computation fee? Oh, that's something that just we just do internally. Well, like we, like we often say to Delta when we're, when we're talking to them about changing our fees and stuff, or like change, changing a ticket, we'll just ask them, would you refund that? Would you just remove that? Would you be willing to do that? And um, especially if you're identifying, oh, we, we actually stuck in three or four bogus lines that are all our fees. Just ask them, would you remove that? So um, the most common line for, for what a mortgage broker is, is making, the people that are, that are writing the mortgage or, or connecting the dots between you and the lender is, is loan origination fee. So that's where they should put what they're charging, loan origination fee. So just, just to describe um, this for a second, and I'll get, I'll get to the percentages in a second, um, the, the percentages of, of interest rates. On the mortgage that I just got, <clears throat> we went through, I, I, I searched a whole bunch of different mortgages and I found that um, that Nerd Wallet, uh, which is a recommending machine for all sorts of things, it had some recommendations for mortgage companies. And there was a special that that if you're a Nerd Wallet, if you came to this through Nerd Wallet, you can go to this lender over here and you'll get a special, and which which is that the, your origination fee will be like seven hundred bucks. And so I thought, well, that's a good, that's actually a good price for a mortgage. And I really liked the rates. The rates were exceptional. So I went and talked to this guy. He sent me um, some documents um, describing the loan. And the origination fee was, I think, $1,600 that I saw. So I immediately asked him about that. Um, I'm not going to pay $1,600. I was looking at the $600 one. To which he goes, oh yeah, you you came through Nerd Wallet. No, no, no problem, no problem. My point is, this statement, which you need to inspect very closely, it's the numbers statement. It's not text. It's just numbers. Um, that describes all of the money and where all the money is going for for your mortgage. Now you you asked about interest rates, so there is a there's a number which every day. Um, any any mortgage broker or any bank is receiving that here's what here's what 30 year mortgages uh here's the interest rate that you can offer here's the 15 year interest rate for mortgages you can offer here's the 3 year arm and here's the interest rate and 
any mortgage broker will get those from various banks. Here's what the banks are doing. Let Sometimes, me, let me yeah. jump in and kind of explain <laughs> this whole system real quick for sure. three for minutes. Sure. And then I think it'll make more sense why, when, when we come back to why you can pick your interest rate, how that works. So I spent a few years of my career at a company called Freddie Mac. You may have heard of Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. They are private companies that are publicly traded. You can go buy stock in these companies, but they have, they were created by Congress, which is weird. They're known as government sponsored entities um, because they're somewhere in this weird liminal space between private company and government entity. Uh, the reason is because they, they, back most of the mortgage debt in the United States. And there is a, an implicit guarantee that if these companies were to ever fail, the federal government would step in and backstop them so that they wouldn't go under and the mortgage system in America wouldn't fall apart. Now, what they do is back in the olden days, if you wanted a mortgage, you went down to you know, your friend George's local bank and he had $5 million. Fred's bank. Fred's bank. Sorry. He had $5 million in his bank because all the people in your little town had deposited their, their savings and checking accounts there. And so $5 million is what he could lend out. And he would lend you, you know, back then, uh, $40,000 to buy your Sears craftsman bungalow and then put it up on small town America and he would charge you an interest rate, 5%, 10%, depends on when it was to, to do that. But once he had lent out his, his $5 million, no more loans until they get money back in uh, from those loans. So there was a liquidity problem. They, there just wasn't enough money to lend out at these little banks because they were all operating independently and you would have had to go bank by bank and figure out how to get a loan. That wasn't very efficient. So these entities were created and what they do is they buy mortgages from the banks. So now Fred's bank can make you a loan on Monday and on Tuesday, assuming it meets the conforming standards, which is what Steven was talking about. There's size limits for that loan and there's types of loans that, that count. So you may have heard 30 year loans, 15 year loans, adjustable rates in certain certain time periods. Um, and there's a size limit. So depending on where you live, you can't borrow more than say half a million dollars. Um, it, it adjusts more and more these days as different cities get expensive, but there's a limit to the size of mortgage that would be considered a conforming loan. And as long as a bank is making a conforming loan, they can make that loan on Monday and sell it to Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae on Tuesday. And those companies will buy the loan, package a whole bunch of them up, and investors will actually buy those packages of mortgages to get the cash flows as they come in. Uh, and those are called uh, mortgage-backed securities. They work similarly to bonds. That's kind of a, a rabbit trail we won't go down today. Um, but if you remember 2008, when everything kind of did collapse in the financial system in the United States, it was because a lot of big firms outside of Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae started packaging up and buying loans that were of very low quality. And 
um, you can imagine if, if conforming loans are kind of the, the standard mortgage, you have to have all the right documentation to get one, they're a certain size. Generally, you have to have a certain amount of equity. So you have your down payment on those loans has to be big enough. Well, the housing market was going up and up and up and up. And so people said, well, we can make loans with no down payment and people can just tell us how much money they have. We don't have to verify it. And no problem, because if they can't pay the loan, we'll just take over the house and real estate is going up and up and up in value. So we'll make money off that too, because we'll own a house that's worth more now than it was when we made the loan. Of course, when houses stopped going up in price, that whole system tumbled and those, those bad loans that were made without documentation or with no down payment were generally called subprime loans. So you've probably heard about that. Um, but today, like 2020, uh, amidst all these really low interest rates, there's almost no loans being made in my part of the country that aren't conforming loans meaning these, these stated income, stated asset loans that Stephen was talking about where you just tell them how much money you make and they don't verify it, those do not exist anymore. Uh, even jumbo loans, which would be a loan maybe to a person that has a lot of money, but it's really, really big, bigger than the conforming loan limits, those don't exist right now uh, for the most part. And so what's happening is in order to get one of these good interest rate mortgages today, most lenders are saying you have to make, you have to take a loan that meets these conforming standards so we can go sell that to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae tomorrow. Um, because we want to just keep cranking out loans. We don't want to hold on to your loan and use up some of our capital to, to lend it to you when we could instead just be cycling through these things as fast as can be. So that's how the system works. Uh, and why the lender will probably kind of give you some guardrails of here's the types of loans we're willing to do, especially right now when they're so busy because the rates are so low that they are processing tens of loans per day um, just because everybody wants to refinance right now. Okay, so I'm imagining you're 22, you've established good credit in college, you think you're ready to buy a house, you're going, you're going to qualify for a conventional loan, and you've started down this process, and you're wondering how interest rates are going to work. So again, there's a sheet that mortgage brokers get that describes, here's, here's the conventional um, uh, interest rates from various banks. And obviously, if they're any good, they're going to hit on the lowest one that they can offer today. So the interest rate that's given to mortgage brokers, think of it this way, is you and a bank shaking hands and you're making a deal together. And that interest rate that you're given is, okay, the bank is willing to give you a loan at that interest rate and you're willing to pay to get that loan at that interest rate and you shake hands. Now, if that interest rate fluctuates, so if it goes up, if the interest rate goes up, you're getting a worse deal right? You're going to pay more for that loan and the bank would be happy about that. So they're willing to forward some money to give you a higher interest rate. So if that interest rate goes higher, they would be willing to hand over dollars to pay for all of your closing costs because you can just look at the amortization schedule for, an, for a loan and see that when you pay you know, half a percent difference over 30 years, it's going to end up to be a lot of money. 
So they're happy to pay you, oh, I'd be happy to pay you $500 if you'll take this higher interest rate. And they're very happy. And if that's what you need so that you can get, you know, pay zero at closing, okay, you can do that. But if you want it to go lower than that interest rate, you're the one that is going to be happy with that. Guess who's going to have to bring money to that? You are. So you can go under that sort of standard handshake interest rate and you can pay for it. So for instance, with my refi I just did, um, the, the, I told the guy up front that I was a mortgage broker, um, which was very helpful because he gets scared like I'm going to see through all of his schemes. And he kept saying that over and over, well, you were a mortgage broker. So anyways, he told me I could get 2.375% on the loan for nothing. And I said, well, I'm interested to know uh, what it would cost me to go two and a quarter or even two and an eighth. And so he, uh, we did the math. I did the math. And if I bring, if I brought $1,200 to closing, I could get two and a quarter percent, which that one eighth of a percent between two and a quarter and 2.375 over the life of loan would save me $5,000. So if I brought... $1,200 to closing to get that teeny one-eighth lower interest rate, it'll save me $5,000 over the life alone. So I said, great, let's do that. And what's really common also is that if specifically if you're doing a refinance, you already have some equity in the house, you can, if you want, you could bring nothing to closing and roll in all the costs of the refinance into your new loan. And they would take the cost of the refinance and put it into the new loan, which makes sense for a lot of people. So, so um, because refinances do cost money, some people don't even want to think about it or talk about it because they'll be thinking like me, I don't have any money right now. Our income is really bad this year. So I don't have money to, to I don't have $8,000 hand over for refinance. You should still look into it. Because if you lower your interest rate, as a rule of thumb, if you can lower your interest rate 1%, it's worth, it, it's worth investigating. If you can lower your interest rate and you might even increase the size of your loan, might be a little bit, you might end up owing a little bit more next month with your new loan than you owe right now on your old loan, but you're saving dramatic money in the long term. So I would say don't, don't choke on that idea. And don't stop investigating a refinance just because you think I don't have any money to bring to a closing right now. So anyways, that's how that's how interest rates work, where there is a kind of standard number that the bank is offering at no cost. They will forward you money for that for that number to go up and you can pay money for that number to go down. So that's the deal with interest rates. Yeah, and it's it's always water cooler chat, like I got a oh, yeah. one two five percent mortgage and it's sort of once you figure out how this works, you'll be able to kind of say, great, I don't care. Like you might've paid a ton for that. And the guy with the right. three and a half percent mortgage might've gotten $12,000 cash right. to, to do that. So it just depends. Uh, but Steven, that's, that's a really good overview of how to approach the, the estimates you'll be getting from these different lenders that are going to provide you with options. Let, um, let me say one more thing about amortization. So always, the, the shorter you can make the length of your mortgage, the more money you're going to save in, in, in throwing interest down the drain. So over a 30-year period, if you have a 30-year loan, 
you can do the math. It's something dramatic, like five-eighths of, of your loan. Uh, you might look up a number on that. It's something like if you have a 30-year mortgage, something like five-eighths of everything that you'll pay over the life of that loan will be towards interest. Because especially in the first five to 10 years of paying for um, a 30-year mortgage, you're paying exclus almost exclusively interest. And you're and you'll find as you look at your mortgage statement, why isn't our why isn't our loan going down? Well, it's simple because the bank's going to make their money first. They want to make their money on the interest before they actually start putting money toward your principal. So, do you have that number? Well, it's not a number because it totally oh. depends on the size of the loan. Okay, the sorry. Rate. All right, forget it. So, the way that I approach um, a, a mortgage is. Um, what can I afford in my monthly payment? And then I want my to, to make my amortization schedule as short as possible. So we qualified, um, you know, for whatever kind of loan. I wanted a 15-year. And then I made my amortization schedule 13 years. So I'm, I'm squashing that even more. So my monthly payment might go up 10 bucks if I'm trying to squash it into 13 years. But what I'm doing is ensuring that I'll pay even less interest over the life of that loan. So that's one thing to consider is if you're doing well, when you put money toward a mortgage, you're putting it towards equity in your home or owning your home outright, which is, you know, for a lot of people, it's the first big piece of equity that you own in your in your life. So. Uh, that's one tactic, which is to pay that sucker off as soon as possible. And then by by your late 50s, you're in your 60s and you're clicking your heels because you don't have a house payment. But Mark says there's also another way. Yeah. So this is going to be maybe difficult for some of you listeners. I I want to first start with a lot of people that I talked to have come out of the Dave Ramsey mentality that debt is always bad and that, you know, Proverbs 22, seven, the, the borrower is slave to the lender. And those are truths. We're not here to say that the, the Proverbs messed it up here, but I want to kind of shed some light on the, the stages of debt. We've talked about this when we talked about credit cards. If you're somebody who's had trouble with debt, uh, step number one is to get really good at paying off your debt and not to leverage yourself by going out and, and adding a bunch of debt to your life. Um, as we talk about how to use debt wisely, I think that's kind of the end goal is that you have built a pile of assets that you are comfortable saying, I know how to use debt wisely to grow this, or I know how to um, operate with no debt at all. Um, and that's the goal. So I say that what I'm about to say in light of, I think that it's okay if you're in the stage of, we just haven't earned the right to, to lay a bunch of debt onto our lives yet. Uh, and that, that would mean we, getting to the place where we have earned the right, if you want to use that language, would mean, you know, we're in a position where we're using debt, but we don't have to. We have the option to to have less or more debt because we have assets to back it up. Um, so that being said, when mortgage rates are at two and a half percent, give or take, which they are right now, and 
we know that in the long run, if you were to go invest in stocks and bonds, we could probably earn at the low end 5% and at the high end 7.5-8% in the market. Or uh, if we were to go purchase rental homes, we could probably earn a similar or better return uh, over the long run on those investments. Um, or we could start businesses where we might earn 50% returns. Uh, I personally am excited to not put a ton of money into my house when I can borrow that money at two and a half percent. There's nowhere else I can go get money for that rate right now. Um, if I wanted money to finance my business or if I wanted money to, uh, to just invest. So I am excited about having really quite a bit of mortgage debt right now. And a lot of folks, uh, I would say almost everybody I talk to in my, my financial planning job, I tell them, you can get a 15-year mortgage and pay it down as aggressively as possible and you will have a house outright. Uh, and I do recommend that people target having a paid off house by the time they're 65. But if you're 27 and you're buying your first house, and even if you can afford a 15-year, I can show people usually right now, you will be wealthier if you take a 30-year mortgage at this incredibly right. low interest rate. And now you've got three or 400 extra bucks a month to invest in your Roth IRA or in right. your employer's 401k plan where it can grow tax-free and you will be wealthier 30 years from now when you finally pay off that house, which let's be honest, you might not still have that house at that time. Right. Um, so there is something to be said for when rates are really, really low, choosing a longer term mortgage and still targeting to have that primary home paid off before you get to an age where you might need to stop working. Yeah, it's amazing how it works that if you, when you're of normal home buying age between 30 and 40 years old, it's amazing how that 30 year mortgage, it works out just about right. So that you're paying off your last um, mortgage payment and owning that house outright right about the time that you stop working and getting regular income and it works out just about right so somebody my age i think should be should be looking at 15 year mortgages um i don't i don't want to i don't want to be um having a mortgage strapped to my back when i'm 70 um and no you know we just looked at an investment property and i absolutely wanted a 30 year mortgage on it even though i'm getting towards the age where that would be passed when I plan to necessarily still be earning income when it's paid off. The reason being, again, with rates as low as they are, there's nothing stopping you from paying a 30-year mortgage in 15 years. And right. you can actually do that in such a way that it will not cost you a whole lot more than a 15-year mortgage. But yep. having the 30-year gives you the option of making a smaller payment. So for an investment property, if you look at what you expect rents to be over the next 25 years, they're going to be higher in 15 years from today than they are today. So yeah. you might be able to tailor out a plan that still pays it off pretty fast, but gives you the flexibility to make a lower payment when you need to. So to be sure, our advice to the 22-year-old who just got a corporate job and he's going to be making $60,000 a year is... Sure, you find a little house you want to buy, put it on a 30-year, 
and then start designating part of your paycheck every month that's going to go towards savings or investment. I think that's a, a good generic uh, plan option yeah. for someone. Yeah. A um, couple things I just want to hit real quick before we wrap up. Yep. How much should I borrow? The, the standard, you guys may or may not have heard this, but the standard size down payment is 20% of the cost of the home. And if you want to put down less than 20%, there are lenders who will allow you to do that. Generally, you're going to pay what's called mortgage insurance because they're going to take out an insurance policy on your mortgage to make sure that if you stop paying, they are made whole since the house could go down in value like we saw in, in 2008 and nine. Um, so generally putting down less than 20% is going to lead to a significant extra chunk of payment that's just evaporating into thin air. That's a policy. PMI it's called. Ask, ask about PMI. PMI. So you usually want to avoid that, although sometimes it's still a good deal. Uh, if you, you have 10% and you want to buy a house and it, it makes sense in the place you're living, um, it's not a hard and fast rule that we're saying avoid it, but be aware that if you can save up 20%, you will not have to pay that. And it can be $100 a month or it can be $600 a month depending on the size of the mortgage. Um, another thing I see a lot is people don't take advantage of first-time borrower programs. So you might call a mortgage broker and he says, well, here's the options and gives you the, the loan options. He does usually doesn't make as much money if he goes through one of these state-sponsored first-time borrower programs. So he may not provide you with that, uh, that option. Go look for whatever state you live in and see what kind of first-time homebuyer programs are offered. And these usually, they have nothing to do with age. It's just, have you owned a principal residence either ever or some states would say in the last three or five years. Um, so quick tip, you could sometimes qualify for these even if you've owned a home before if it hasn't been in the last three or five years. Um, and some of these programs, go ahead, Stephen. I just said, thanks, Obama. <laughs> some of these programs will let you put down as little as 3% uh, without paying PMI. Ooh. Some of them will cover your closing costs. Uh, there's one that I saw the other day that even will give you a full-on tax credit for the first three years that you own the home. Holy moly. So these can be great. They can be not so great. They can also change your competitiveness in the market. If you say we're on a first-time homebuyer loan, those have a lot more requirements for closing. So sometimes it can make your offer on a house less competitive if they see that you're using one of these programs. So that's something to think about. But for some people, this is the best way to get into a house. Uh, states like California have a really great one and that's a really high cost housing market. So worth considering. Excellent. First time home buyer programs. And the last quick tip that I want to throw out is if you are doing a refinance and there is a little rule that a lot of people don't know about, and I've never heard a mortgage broker warn somebody about this, but there's something called a cash out refi where they will 
allow you to borrow more than you previously had on your, your mortgage. And you might think, hey, Mark said interest rates are super low and I could borrow an extra 30 grand on this house to complete, uh, well, let's not talk about renovation, to buy a boat. Or they to will even, definitely offer you cash out refi for sure. You might have a $20,000 car loan and you're saying, well, that's at 5% and I could just pay it off and roll it into my mortgage payment. So there is a rule that says if you do a cash out refi and use it for anything other than improving your home, then that mortgage, that interest on your mortgage, which is normally tax deductible, you don't have to pay taxes on it, is not tax deductible. Um, and that's not a total. Wah, 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 wah. That's huge red flashing lights. Run away. Do not come close to this. You really need the tax credit that you get for paying your mortgage. Don't do that. And I'm not saying that your whole mortgage becomes not tax deductible. Um, but for intents and purposes, you're going to spend more on tax preparation now because somebody's going to have to figure out how many dollars went to mortgage interest for deductible mortgage payment versus how many went to cash out. Uh, and it's just a mess and it really screws a lot of people up and they can end up paying fees down the line to the IRS because they messed it up. So Plus the fact that you're paying for your, I don't, it's amazing what people do. They want to cash out for $10,000 to, to, you know, put a fancy um, home theater system in not thinking we're going to pay for 30 years for this $10,000. Why don't you just be diligent and save your money for four months? Just put your money aside and then, you know, pay what you can up front instead of thinking, well, this feels like a get out of jail free card. We can just roll it into our mortgage. Holy moly. What you're going to pay over the years for that cash out refi. Don't do that. Yeah. I'm generally not a fan of cash out refis for almost anything. I would rather see you build up some equity in your home. And if you really have to tap into that, you can get a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit, which maybe someday we'll talk about. But that's what I've got on, on mortgage finance. Steven, do you think we covered it? We certainly exhausted everybody's ears. So good enough. We talked about buying a house and kind of the way the system works and then um, some strategies around refinancing, which I'll say it again. If you haven't looked at your mortgage in a while, go look, go look at those documents. They're in a folder somewhere in a filing cabinet in your basement. Look at your interest rate and, and you could save yourself a lot of money just by going through say a week worth of minor headaches to get a refinance. It's a great time yep. for it. So it's my goal for you guys listening that you would become very skilled in the use of debt. And I think for some of you, that will mean you are not coming anywhere near it and you're paying it off aggressively and operating with no debt. And for others of you, that would mean you are comfortable using it when the time comes and it makes sense to, to make your family stronger and not weaker. That is not the standard operating procedure when it comes to debt and the American dream. So I, I just want to bless anyone who's listening with um, developing that muscle and, and using debt in a way that 
glorifies God and builds the kingdom and not in a way that uh, traps you and makes you a slave. Praise God. Thank you, Mark. For Abraham's Wallet, this is Stephen Manuel. And I'm Mark Parrott. Catch you next time. Goodbye.